electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Good Thursday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla at the New York Stock Exchange. Jim Cramer is out west at One Market in San Francisco. David Faber at the Liberty Media Investor Day in New York. Futures are steady as we watch earnings from NVIDIA, Cisco, Macy's, Kohl's. Got oil at a six-week low for a third day of losses. Our roadmap begins with diverging tech stories. NVIDIA, record sales, but Cisco's guidance disappoints and Alibaba earnings plunging 38%. Plus, the EV pullback. Shares of Lucid and Rivian are tumbling ahead of the open. And as Carl just said, um, I'm here at the Liberty Media Annual Investor Day in person again after a one-year hiatus. Be speaking to John Malone, Tom Rutledge from Charter, Greg Maffei from Liberty, and Jennifer Witz from Sirius Satellite, all up in the next hour and a half to two hours. Carl? Wow, we got a great morning uh, with David and Liberty today. Let's start, though, with these uh, tech stories, Jim. Uh, the, the revenue numbers out of NVIDIA are once again astounding. Uh, but the Cisco guide and the supply chain comments got a lot of attention last night. Oh, you got that right. And I've got to tell you, NVIDIA is one of those companies where you have to take the revenues up so big that you're just kind of in awe that after this amazing growth in revenue, it's, you ain't seen nothing yet. Cisco's the opposite. Uh, Cisco, you just didn't see the revenue bump. Now, they gave you uh, full-year earnings. But what's most disappointing to me as I kept going over and over it is that the hybrid business, the work at home, work at the office, and the security business seem to have slowed down. And uh, I've had to uh, be more circumspect about Cisco. I love the order growth. Uh, but you know what? In this environment, you, you can't have operational misses. Say that there's supply chain and have people believe, oh, so that's what went wrong. It doesn't work like that right now. This is the quarter where people are saying, you have supply chain problems, give me a break. The other guy's solving it. And David, when you hear supply chain these days, not only do your eyes glaze over, what people say is, have you not figured out how to do it? Other guys have. So, David, it's, it's a bifurcated world. And so, Jim, when it comes to Cisco, and obviously you spoke to Chuck Robbins, what is it that they haven't figured out? Uh, I think that what they haven't figured out is how to execute on every single front on amazing orders. And that, yes, it is absolutely true. The supply chain its a true story. Uh, but they had thought we had thought that they had supply chain, that they were best in show. A lot of people went to Chuck to Robbins to learn how to handle supply chain. So it, it was surprising. Now, look, order growth could easily trump that if you're a visionary. But come on, most people aren't visionaries. And when I saw that the revenues... Uh, we're lower than the midpoint, and the forecast was uh, for decline. David, you knew that there's no price that people would pay for Cisco. Uh, you knew that there was uh, no price. There's just no bids. And I don't even think it's done going down, even today. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of Walmart the other day. And, Carl, you know when you miss in this environment, uh, not only do people not want you, but they sell you for several days, not one day. Yeah. There's no one-day sales going on with these big-cap stocks that miss numbers. Yeah. 
Uh, well, uh, Chuck Robbins, uh, to his credit, I guess, Jim, uh, did warn us this was coming maybe earlier than a lot of other big companies. And last night he did lace his comments with the idea that things were stabilizing in the back half of the quarter. Here's what he told you. We all recognize that the supply chain challenges are out there. I think the good news is, is that while we saw some deterioration in the first half of the quarter, we saw it stabilize in the second half of the quarter. And we expect this quarter it will remain stable. And then we expect the second half of our fiscal year that we should begin to see some slight improvement. Not what we ultimately want, but we believe we will see some slight improvement, which allows us to uh, remain confident in that full year guide. All right. How much credit does he get for that? Uh, a lot. And because he could have easily lowered. Uh, he could have said, look, that business isn't coming back. But we need to see security stronger because security strong for everyone. We had Okta yesterday. I mean, if you're doing security, then you have a lot of business. And I'd like to see Cisco really capitalize off this on-premises, at-home strategy. And now, of course, the, I, I think that perhaps we have to wonder, did the campus, the campus business, slow down because people didn't come back to the campus? I'm not sure. Uh, it was quizzical. And quizzical means sell, uh, as opposed to... Uh, Let's say when you get an Alibaba, and I know David knows this company well, which was not quizzical at all. It was just bad. And there's a lot of competition there. So, I mean, Cisco's in the penalty box. There's no doubt about it. Uh, penalty box means sell. Penalty box does not mean hold. And uh, when you look at something like Alibaba, that just means flee. But, David, we're in a, in a world where we're getting winners <laughs> to find winners and losers. And there isn't, doesn't seem to be a level that people will stop paying for winner in this market. You see it. You see winners no, go well, up, you look at their they, chart, and they're, and they're hyperbolic moves. You're right. Uh, they will pay up for growth, and growth that is confirmed with earnings reports that, that do that. And, of course, we'll be talking about NVIDIA in a moment, Jim. Uh, but let's get to Baba, because you did bring it up, and then we can transition to NVIDIA, of course. And, you know, the, we've also made the point of late, these moves are accentuated in both ways uh, in this market of late for a variety of reasons that you probably have more insight into than I do, Jim, but, but certainly we have seen both moves up and down when it comes to response to earnings reports. In this case with Alibaba, it's going to be down, as you said. The results did come in below expectations. I think net revenue was up about 29%, but it is raising overall concern about the level of Chinese consumption, I guess. Uh, call, I don't really have a lot of info from the call at this point. Uh, to share, but uh, you know we will get more. Not to mention, I think they have an investor day in the middle of December. Will they talk about well, Pinduoduo Duo and JD? I mean, Carl, it's like suddenly there are three Amazons, not one. Um, we have an Amazon. Uh, these guys, we thought they had seeded everything uh, to Alibaba, but it's not at all, Carl. Now we have a three-dog race, and JD.com has come on so strong that you're beginning to wonder: is there an, is there room for all three? Uh, Alibaba's really bad. It's just yeah. a bad I mean, quarter. it's interesting. Last couple of weeks, Jim, uh, a lot of desks started to argue that the all clear was upon us in terms of China regulatory risk. Uh, yesterday, I think it was uh, one of the major firms had a note saying that the Rivian Lucid craze is going to eventually benefit the Lees and the Neos of the world. I guess, I mean, where are we right now on, on China trading? Well, look, uh, I think that there's uh, ample room. Uh, for three, but not enough money being made on the three. I mean, now you've got three malls. 
And free malls are all fungible. Uh, I remember talking to Estee Lauder. Estee Lauder happens to love selling in, in JD.com. And they, it's a fantastic market for them. You can see the stock of Estee Lauder, how amazingly it's a, a lot of it is just Chinese growth. But uh, I just come back, Carl, and I just say to myself, didn't wasn't this game set match for Alibaba? And it isn't anymore. Whether Neo should be a winner or a loser. I mean, there's all these, these people, they always want to go into China. Their whole funds, everyone wants to try to call the bottom in China. They don't seem to realize that the government doesn't like individual being wealthy. And who knows how much they put the finger on the scale against Baba. I do not think it's a fair fight anymore. I don't think Baba's a liked company within the government. Um, well, we can't not mention the other side of the of the coin here, which is NVIDIA, Jim, before we move on wow. as well. Uh, you know, I mean, there there may not have there may not be a better uh, higher or, or at least better performing growth stocks. Certainly, you could look for a, a handful of them short term. But Nvidia over long term uh, starts today at about a seven hundred and thirty billion dollar market value. It could approach eight hundred billion after the response to those earnings. The continued enthusiasm for what they are going to do in what they call the omniverse, uh, and and just a blowout number, Jim. Obviously, which you have great insight into. Well, look, nobody thinks anymore at the company that they're a semiconductor company or a graphical user interface company. It's, it's just not. It's, it's a software company. Uh, and what they're talking about, what Jensen's talking about, uh, the physical robots, self-driving, much better, uh, just much better drivers than we are. But my favorite part is something that I think Jay Powell should feel really ecstatic about. J- Jensen just says basically, Jensen Wong, true visionary, that we're not going to have people working, uh, checking out anyone at retail, at restaurant, at airports, train stations. He said it's just all going to be avatars and the avatars will not make mistakes. And it's going to be the answer to the labor shortage in our country and the world. So, David, when you listen to him, he has a view on pretty much everything. Whether Obviously, they started with gaming, but his comments on labor shortages, it's going to be over and it's going to be over better. And the avatars are going to be fun and great and not only lifelike, but Lifelike with a propensity to get it far more right. And I, I think he's going to make them jovial, Carl. When he's finished, these, these, uh, li- these lifelike avatars are going to be funny and interesting wait. and smart, just like he is. David, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm I, trying to yeah. read David's reaction this morning because we're going we're gonna to have to get our heads around this. I am reading, David, a story this morning uh, that Barbados is going to open the first virtual embassy in the metaverse, where I guess, I don't know, the virtual diplomacy in the metaverse, does that, does that sell you on it yet? You can get your virtual passport stamp somehow. Um, will there be virtual beaches? Can I feel the ocean against my toes and the sand? <laughs> I, I don't know. The virtual sandy uh, I'm, still trying to, I'm still trying to process, Jim, the idea that the labor market is going to be saved by the metaverse oh, no, because wait, wait. nobody's going to be actually working in the real world. a lot world. of his calls. So, a lot of his calls about the labor market that's being saved by their, their software. My favorite part was he goes into, there's this moment where he talks about the protein synthesis industry and how it's so great it is and it's the digital biology and what's a fantastic business and it's going to be amazing. And then he says, of course, it doesn't exist yet, but it's going to be gigantic. I know, he says it's going to be in the real economy. <laughs> he, he talks about an industry um, that does not exist, only in his mind. I mean, I'd like to know what John Malone has to think about, about Jensen Wong. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, of course, I did uh, have my annual sit-down with uh, Malone. Uh, he is not here uh, at the uh, conference, 
Um, but we were able to speak, uh, as we did last year as well, remotely um, in an interview that we uh, did the other day. Uh, and we did talk about the market's love of growth, guys. Now, we did it in the context of a conversation that began about how do you go about valuing all the direct-to-consumer platforms that are out there, in particular Netflix, and will the market ultimately move perhaps from submetrics to actual profitability? Take a listen. We talk about the results from Netflix or uh, any number of the other companies, Viacom even. We look at the sub-numbers. That's all we look at right now. We're not really looking at, to your point, profitability. I don't know when that's going to start to change. I mean, with Netflix, it's more so. But um, to your point, when do we sort of make that pivot or when do investors make that pivot and say, well, you know what, the overall number may not be nearly as important as to what the margin looks like and to your point, the stickiness and the value of that customer over time. Every investor has a different time horizon, a different perspective. To me, I've always been a long-term investor, and so I'm much more interested in, in building this business brick by brick, making it solid and sticky, and how can you grow it, and how can you grow pricing power, and how can you defend the franchises that you're building. It's that kind of a, that kind of a thing. Uh, it's too early. I, I really think it's yeah. too early to assess. The market is obviously putting huge market valuations on Netflix. And, and frankly, Netflix relative to Disney. Uh, and, you know, I mean, hell, there's a car company that I guess is just going public that has a $130 billion <laughs> market cap and hasn't, hasn't built a car yet. That's so true. there's Rivian. no question yeah. that <laughs> Rivian. I mean, there's no question that the the equity markets right now are so interested in growth above all other criteria, and this is like the the bubble in the late '90s uh, up to, through 2000. It's all about growth. This is a land rush. Yep, land rush. Jim, that's what uh, you hear from Malone, who's seen his share of uh, land rushes and obviously benefited from a few of them as well along the way. It is so refreshing to hear someone who thinks long term but recognizes you have to play some bets. It's almost as if what he's thinking is, look, these are all venture capital companies that have come public. Some of them are not going to work out. Some of them are. But you've got to play some bets. This is a man who does not just sit there and say, you know what, this is ridiculous. No, he gets his hands dirty. How come he gets his hands dirty and we have so many rich, big hedge fund guys come on and say, oh, it's just ridiculous, pie in the sky. Why doesn't he say pie in the sky and joke? Why does he still play? Why does he come to the office? Well, I don't know if he's getting to the office too often these days. Actually, I think he is, to be fair. He was in the office uh, in Denver when we did that. Um, you're right, Jim. Uh, you know, listen, direct to consumer and how you go about valuing those businesses, including Netflix, and he had a lot more to say about it, is going to be very important to the combination of Warner Brothers and Discovery. It's going to be a key part of that. Uh, and so, as you might expect, of course, and we'll share a lot of this, we spent a good deal of time talking about that opportunity. But it does go back to valuation, and it will over time. He certainly sees, uh, at least in his opinion, the way that he believes you need to build these direct-to-consumer businesses that may be somewhat different than the way the market is currently valuing them. But, David, he, he knows balance sheet and taxes. He's the best. 
Doesn't he look at something like ATT yes. and realize that they may not have the balance sheet to compete? I don't know that he thinks that that is the case. I mean, we, you and I have talked about this many times. The fact that, in fact, uh, by doing the deal with Discovery, AT&T is allowing itself to focus uh, its capital structure and, obviously, its execution on one business, Jim, uh, and that it will have the wherewithal to compete. Although, judging from the stock price right now, there's certainly still some questions about that as well. Does he think that the people like Stanky are nice? <laughs> I'll let him speak for himself. All right. It was an hour-long nice. interview. It's always available. Remember, nice guys, always nice available guys, where do they finish? On the internet. And we'll share a lot of it, Carl, uh, coming up in the next hour. I gotta get, yeah, look, we I'm can't Googling DeRosha right now. <laughs> we can't wait to hear more uh, from Malone and Rutledge uh, later on uh, today. Uh, David, look forward to that. Take a look at futures this morning. A lot of calls to get to. We'll get to Macy's, Cole's, Victoria's Secret, but a new street high for Roblox. Another upgrade of Boeing today and a downgrade of Activision Blizzard. Don't go away. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shei, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. Quick reminder that you can always get in on the new CNBC Investing Club with Kramer. Sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash investing club. Or just point your phone at the QR screen, QR code on the screen. It'll take you straight there. We're coming off of the second slide in three days as the Dow's November gain has now been shaved to about 100 points. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. 
With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Time for Kramer's Mad Dash. Uh, Jim, good timing. I'm looking here. S&P just revised its outlook on Ford uh, to positive. But they sure should have, given how much Rivian they have. Carl, uh, a lot of companies I talked earlier about uh, have the supply chain in hand. Some don't. Some are just taking matters into their own hands. Going back and forth right now with Jim Farley, the unbelievable CEO of Ford, he says, uh, that talking about a deal that he just made with Global Foundries. Global Foundries Ford to address auto chip supply and meet growing demand. He says, Global's a great American company, like Ford. Together, we hope to create a secure supply of feature-rich semis made in America to secure Ford production and jobs for years to come. The key term there is feature-rich. Carl, the chips that are needed to make all the cars and trucks are called feature-rich, which means they're not the high-performance chips that AMD or NVIDIA makes. They're more lower performance, but that's what's been slowing down Ford. This deal with Global Foundries is breakthrough. Notice, he's not dealing with a semiconductor company. He's dealing right with the foundry, and that is amazing. <laughs> that's, per- that's Tom Caulfield talking to Jim Farley and vice versa. I salute Farley and Caulfield for getting the job done, and I wonder, by the way, whether Secretary Raimondo from the Commerce Department would weigh in on this. It would be fantastic to have her speak about it. That is interesting. Of course, the president, Jim, was at GM yesterday and uh, drove that uh, Hummer, said it was proof that America has what it takes. Did that do anything to you to maybe have you look up, take a fresh look at GM? Uh, look, GM is breaking out here, and I think it's terrific. I think that Mary Barr is doing a good job. But when I look at the actual models, when I think about who is going in, you know, in scale, against Musk. Who has a get Musk squad? I don't think Mary Barr has a get Musk squad. But I, when you talk to Jim Farley about Musk, it's TNP, Carl. Take no prisoners. <laughs> We're going to talk a bit more about Tesla. Uh, some of Kathy Wood's comments to Barron's about how much market share they could have in a couple of years. Uh, the opening bell is about uh, six minutes away. A lot more of David's exclusive with John Malone as well when Squawk on the Street comes back. Keep your eye on the retailers today. Uh, Macy's 123 beats a 31-cent estimate. Revenue up 36. Digital up 49, Jim, on a two-year stack. Again, it's uh, the, the, the retail dynamics are healthy demand, uh, healthy inventory, uh, and maybe some margin pressure, but not in the case of Macy's. No, look, I think this was a picture-perfect call, uh, right down to an indicator that Jeff, Jeff likes to share with me, Jeff Kinnett, the CEO, which is that 4.4 million new customers, they're the lifeblood, they're doing some curated packaging, and we've all kind of waited for Macy's to do that. Uh, talked about hiring an advisor uh, to, to study separation of e-commerce. That was discussed. Alex Partners, I've used them. They're a fine consulting firm. So I think that Jeff Gannett, when he came in, he made some very high goals for himself, and then it got, of course, hit by the pandemic. But the goals have been realized, and I applaud him. All still buying back stocks, still fixing the balance sheet. They're on a, a tremendous growth path now. And when we get international travel back because 25% of the business is hurled square, it's only going to get better. So the stock is not done going higher. Yeah. Uh, gross margin, uh, 41. That's up from 35 uh, yeah. a year ago, David. Uh, and, um, and the gross margin at Kohl's also was a slight beat. So much for supply chain issues, you know, which we obviously spent a lot, have spent a lot of time talking about, Jim. I mean, they weren't an issue for Target and Walmart, but frankly, that wasn't a surprise or for Lowe's. Here, you know, there may have been a thought that it might have been a bit more of an issue. So far, demand just seems to be trumping anything else. 
that might be coming their way. Yes, and remember, they're buying back up another 500 million shares, 500 million dollars worth of stock. That's big because it's not that big a float in the, in the fourth quarter. I think that people have to understand that they got Sephora. They basically stole Sephora when J.C. Penney's having any problems. Sephora is an amazing draw, and it's good. The read through here, obviously, is that you can also buy Ulta uh, because uh, Sephora, Ulta, uh, very simpatico. Uh, guidance is actually comically low, so you're going to be able to get a chance to beat that. You got two quarters to go, and Coles goes higher too. Yeah. Uh, but Carl, again, it does come back. I mean, T- TJX yesterday, very strong. Obviously, Lowe's oh. had a decent day, although Target and Walmart, as we pointed out, both down. But the demand side of this equation is not one to forget, Carl. Right. Uh, and it continues to be, uh, you know, the likes of things we, we haven't seen. And obviously, you talk a great deal about the savings rate and where savings stands right now still for most Americans. Yep. I guess we could probably even extend it, Jim, to Victoria's Secret's going to open up nine. Uh, Sonos going to open up almost three. Uh, Consumer still has a pretty deep well. I'm, con- I'm curious about what William Sonoma is going to do. And I'm going to have William Sonoma tomorrow. The stock was down 12 yesterday. Uh, I think that in the camp of are they uh, Target, are they Walmart, or are they usual mall stores? I think that William Sonoma, Laura Albert, still doesn't get the respect she deserves, but I think it could come as soon as, soon as this evening. Let's get to the opening bell down here, guys. I wish you were here. Pretty loud at the big board. It's salad restaurant chain Sweet Green celebrating an IPO, pricing $13 million at 28 At the NASDAQ, solar car company Sono Motors also celebrating its IPO. Uh, Jim, got to get your quick take here on Sweet Green. Not a big restaurant footprint, about 140 stores. Well, look, the boys were on three Hoyas. I thought they told a good story. Of course, Andrew uh, Sorkin hit him with a roundhouse it's, uh, when they said that uh, the company was profitable when I gave an interview last year, and uh, that was considered to be uh, not cricket, according to Andrew. I don't blame him because it was a gap profit, uh, not straight-up profitability. So a question about how much money they're really making and how much they're not. Uh, they did that on Kara Swisher's show, Paul. That is a, a rigorous show. Don't go on that show without having your numbers buttoned down. We're going to kick off the morning, guys, um, with NVIDIA, Jim, uh, leading the S&P, 322. Uh, I guess the question that you'll get a lot on this name is how much you are willing to pay uh, for this kind of growth. Uh, I think you have to look at it the other way. This is the next trillion-dollar company. The, the, the businesses that they're in now, Everything touches their business. Remember, this was a gaming company. Uh, gaming is a magnificent thing. Now, it's, I like to think of it as an inference company. Have you ever bought something and then it so, shows you what else that you might want? That's the artificial intelligence that was the next leg of Jensen. And now he's going to the point where he just says, OK, look, we'll take all the labor that nobody really wants to do and we'll have it done by an avatar. It's going to free up a lot of people to do other things. And he spends, he spends a lot of time teasing the Omniverse. But the Omniverse is a halcyon place. Uh, kind of a, kind of a, I would say, a, a wonderland. I think he's going to make it a wonderland. It's not when, when you go over what Mark Zuckerberg talked about with the metaverse. It's pedestrian versus what what Jensen's thinking about in the omniverse. He's thinking about you becoming a great artist, a great writer. Uh, he's thinking about you doing far more than you currently do right now. And I think it's the type of thing we've all wanted to be, somebody better than ourselves. That's Jensen. It's pretty uh, fascinating, wow, guys. Wait, really? Just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to really, go great. Really quick. Uh, all, I'm sure. Yeah, no problems at all in the metaverse or omniverse. 
It's not all his. Just the not his wine universe. And, wine and no, roses. No, this is like the bizarro yeah. world versus the Superman world. Jim, I think really quick, Carl, his universe is gentle. I mean, there's a lot of verses out there. I was going to ask you about Roblox. Uh, fresh uh, street high target out of Morgan Stanley today, 150. I love uh, the main case, 230. It's gone from 77 to 128 in two weeks. Well, that's the stock that I picked for the CNBC uh, show and tell pageant, the, the uh, Super Bowl winner. I felt that it had it in him because Dave Bazuki invented the verse, whatever you want to call it first. And uh, it's again, it's a platform to write on. Uh, Jensen's got 25 million developers writing on his platform, so it's going to surpass Roblox. But, David, I've got to tell you, Roblox should be at the center of where you are right now because it's entertainment. It's terrific entertainment and it's family fun. Uh, It turned out to be not a pandemic stock. A lot of people thought it was. I would love to hear what John Malone felt about the verse. Omni, whatever, Meta, Zucco. Remember, there's two Zooks. There's two Zooks in the Omniverse. There's uh, Bazooki, but it's actually Bazooki. He's the CEO of Roblox. And then there's Zuckerberg. And I think the first Zook is winning. Interesting. Two uh, I didn't talk to Malone about the about the Omniverse or mm-hmm. the Metaverse, uh, mm-hmm. Jim. I'm sorry to say, but I would point out Nvidia has backed off a bit, but it did get above an 800 billion dollar market value. And so, to your point about it becoming a trillion dollar company, I mean, it could be there at this rate. It was only a few weeks ago it crossed 700 billion for the first time. So at this rate, it could easily hit a trillion by the end of the year. Now, yeah. again, back to Carl's question. 50% revenue growth. I think they're guiding towards, what, 47 48% year-over-year revenue growth for the next quarter. Um, but what is an appropriate multiple for that? Or does it not matter at all because you are uh, so I'll taken with his uh, vision? The interesting thing about this company is, first of all, it is profitable. Second, it's always looked expensive. And then you go back and you look at uh, what the company earned. There was a period in the, uh, I'd say, the mid-teens where it was really selling at about 17 times earnings when it looked like it was selling about 80 times earnings. And that's because the earnings were so much dramatically better. Uh, We put out a note for the investment club last night that talked about that it may be the biggest guide that we've seen. Uh, There's just a remarkable guide up. And a lot of that is is because he's touching on industries that we don't know exist as industries yet. Uh, No one's ever done this. No one has ever predicted a gigantic industry that no one's ever heard of on a conference call and then predict that they will dominate it. And we're all scratching our heads. We didn't even know that industry existed. It only exists in his mind right now. But we're all going to be part. We're all part of his omniverse. And I'll tell you, it's a great place to be. Funny, it does remind me that uh, another person who thinks a lot about the future, Masasun, uh, they owned a lot of NVIDIA and they sold it. Now, they're selling they them ARM it. as well, but that's a cash deal. It. But they sold their NVIDIA stake. No. Remember when, when the SoftBank sold, sold Let me tell NVIDIA. you what the people who um, sold it, what their day's like today. That's their day. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, let's talk Talked a little to. bit more about... Uh, uh, my my uh, sit down with John Malone, of course, we do spend a lot of time here talking about direct-to-consumer, all the different platforms that are out there that are emerging, and their uh, importance to so many of these companies, whether it be uh, what will be the combination of uh, Warner Brothers and Discovery and Discovery Plus and HBO Max, whether it is Netflix, whether it's Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, our uh, parent company, Comcast, Peacock, we can go on and on, right? Apple, Amazon. Uh, I asked Malone what he thinks will ultimately be the arbiter here in terms of success. 
I think the real issue, David, that 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 the, you, you have to start thinking through is is what is going to be the profitability uh, profile of these businesses, you know, as as they increasingly go global, uh, as they achieve various levels of scale, and uh, and and various levels of stickiness or content uh, uh, cost. And to me, it's almost looking back at the history of our business, the cable business, where we learned how to deal with bundling and churn and pricing uh, and end up with uh, a hybrid service offering that was ad-supported but also uh, had something presumably for everybody in the household. So I think that those, those are the lessons that these... Uh, direct consumer companies are going to be learning and competing over, and that will ultimately determine things like profitability, uh, growth and economic value of the enterprise, uh, the, the appropriate mix of ad and, and, uh, and direct consumer, uh, and the level of bundling. So, so, John, what, what do you need you, to see, from your opinion? What still needs to sort of develop for you to be able to begin to answer the question you originally posed, which is, you know, what is the profitability? Yeah, well, I think it's early in the game still. And I think what you're going to find is that there will be uh, a broad set of services provided to the consumer, some of which will be entirely ad-supported, some of which will be hybrid, and some of, of which will be uh, uh, subscriber-funded only. I'm curious what you think about Disney, because, of course, they also seem to establish themselves as the number two player, if we could call it that. Uh, they still have a goal of, what, some 230 million worldwide subs <laughs> at some point. But there are some who wonder whether they've hit a bit of a wall. Disney, at some point, has to decide to choose between profitability and scale. In other words, it may well be that, that they could have a much more profitable business by focusing on the people who have young families and really want uh, their intellectual property. I mean, it, or do they put it all in a bucket and, and say you buy the whole, the whole bucket uh, at a higher price point uh, but your satisfaction may not be as high because you're buying a lot of things that that you don't necessarily value. So, yeah. you know, Disney has a lot uh, has a lot to work with in that space, but they also have a lot of legacy uh, commitments. And how they morph from a very profitable linear sports world into a uh, a hybrid world of, of uh, direct consumer with some advertising. These are the, the evolutionary uh, things that I think will determine the ultimate outcome. To your point, to how this evolves, do you have a sense when you talk to David what and how it should be thought about in terms of what the direct-to-consumer offering from Warner Brothers Discovery will look like? Yes, we've had many discussions and, uh, you know, I don't know that I would say there's a conclusion at this point. I'm a believer that there will be many offerings, uh, not just one 
gigantic offering. John, you seem to be of the belief that one size doesn't necessarily fit all for these kinds of offerings. Totally. I'm totally on that page because I think trying to satisfy every taste and every interest uh, in one omnibus offering is going to turn out to be uh, unprofitable. I don't think that uh, that going 100% consumer or subscriber paid as a model uh, is going to leave an awful lot of people on the sidelines who would be content with something that was less expensive or free but much more ad-supported. Which gives you a sense as to at least what we may see at some point when, of course, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery rolls out its strategy, guys. Of course, Jim, Netflix is exactly that, right? And it is by far the giant, by far the most highly valued, more highly valued than Disney is right now. It is all things to all people, and it is subscriber-only content. Well, uh, that was a devastating interview because what he said was you need... You, you got to choose. Disney has to choose between profitability and scale. David, the winners in this period don't have to choose. They do broke profitability and scale. So that was quite chilling and a damning with faint praise. Yeah, you know, uh, well, we'll see. And again, you know, he referenced sports, of course, because that has been uh, much of the engine has been ESPN. As we well know, it has been replaced in investors' focus by direct-to-consumer, Jim. But it still, by the way, contributes a good deal of cash flow. But that business, as we've been pointing out for many years now, is changing dramatically as people continue to drop their video uh, subs. Scale means profitability. They should never be at odds with each other. He, he is basically saying that Disney has been over-supported. Uh, it's very chilling, David, very chilling. Carl, a lot more from Malone, John Rutledge, uh, excuse me, Tom Rutledge coming up shortly as well. When we come back, that's right, uh, Charter CEO Tom Rutledge with David at Liberty Media Investor Day. First, though, check on the bonds. Uh, yields are down almost across the board. Uh, jobless claims, 268 is now a post-COVID low. And Philly Fed, highest since April, which was a 48-year high as the, the economy continues to be on fire uh, in the manufacturing space. We're back in a moment. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber at Liberty's annual Investor Day. Once again, in person, we had a one-year hiatus there, of course, for the pandemic. Very happy to have Tom Rutledge, CEO of Charter Communications, with me. Uh, it has been a while again, like it has been with so many since Good we see you live. It's really a pleasure. It is, isn't it? Really it? Is. It's fun to be live and in person. Um, Tom, doesn't mean we haven't been following the company, of course, uh, which has had extraordinary growth for many years, and the stock price has reflected that until recently bit of a hiccup and concern, you know, essentially about whether your broadband growth is decelerating. Uh, and I guess the first question is simply that, uh, you know, are you seeing a deceleration? Do you expect that to continue or was that a hiccup in terms of that last quarter? Well, I, I wouldn't call it a hiccup. Um, yeah, obviously, nobody knows the future perfectly. But, you know, during the pandemic, it was an unusual time for our business. And we grew three and a half million customers since the pandemic began, which is an enormous growth rate, faster than we've been growing. And so uh, people aren't moving. Uh, we have the lowest churn, including move churn, that we've ever had in our history. So the pandemic effects in the economy are still real. And, uh, you know, we're growing nicely, but it's a smaller activity marketplace at the moment. 
So uh, we're comfortable that our long-run trajectory will remain on track. Um, but there are anomalies in the way people are moving about and the way the marketplace is working right now. And uh, our growth is good. It's just not as fast as it's been. Right. Um, you know, there is this concern, and it hit, obviously, shares of my parent company, Comcast, as right. well as Charter, that there's a lot of overbuilding going on, as in new, or new companies or companies we know well moving into your territory, in part because the cost of capital is incredibly low right now, right. Uh, and so the returns parameters may be different, and in part because the actual technology that involves digging and putting the fiber in is cheaper than it might have been when we saw this similar pattern years ago with the Fios. Is that a real threat to your business? Well, it's, our business is a competitive business. We've been competing against satellite technology for years with phone companies. Um, yes, there are overbillers. There have been overbillers through our history. Um, and the pace of that hasn't really changed very much. So um, we do quite well in most of the competitive areas that we operate. In fact, all the competitive areas we operate in with overbuilders. And there are other kinds of technologies, too. There's direct... Uh, cellular kinds of connectivity, wireless broadband. Yes, wireless broadband. Yeah. And, you know, we're, and we're selling a lot of products, too. We're selling TV, so we're, you know, it's still a competitive satellite business. It's still a competitive phone business. We're in the mobile business, growing quite rapidly. So when you look at our whole product set and you think about where we stand, we're still a high-growth company in a very competitive environment. Right. And uh, when you put all of our products together into a single package, the value proposition is really good. If you look at pricing now that we've got, say, for mobile, um, our mobile prices are about half what people are paying. Um, and that's a huge opportunity. So, and we're very underpenetrated. And but it I doesn't mean, Tom, that you know, when somebody comes in, even if they're because they have a low cost of capital at this point, yes. that they price things where they shouldn't. No, they may. You know, the irrational competitor uh, is always difficult to deal with. Um, but, you know, Verizon's overbuild process of Fios actually uh, didn't work out very well. They ended up selling most of it. Um, so it's a difficult business. It's a slow business. It's very capital intensive. And uh, we think that our access to capital and our ability to upgrade our networks and keep our product competitive and keep our capacity and speed up is easier and more capitally efficient than our competitors, and so we think that we'll succeed in the marketplace. Well, you mentioned uh, you mentioned wireless, and I would like to spend a little bit of time there as well. It's a growth part of your business. I think you have what 3.2 million wireless customers. That's right. Um, which people may not realize. Obviously, if you watch football, you see the ads. Right. You know, you guys are out right. there. Um, can that grow quickly enough, perhaps, that it ultimately replaces video as the second leg of the stool? I think so, actually, yeah. Um, you know, if you look back at uh, our history, um, when I, in 2004, I launched the first voice over IP platform, and we were selling telephony, uh, wireline telephony. And at that time, in this marketplace, the New York marketplace, the average phone bill was about $72 for wireline phone. Today, it's $13. Um, and uh, the, the major share of that business has moved to our business. Um, and I think uh, mobile is a similar opportunity. You do? I do. Um, every time we sit down, i got to ask you about the video business. And, yeah. I mean, I used to ask you about it years ago because yeah. it was such an important It's funny part. that you don't lead with it anymore. No, I don't lead with it. Now the question is, why do you even bother? I mean, I think you lost 100, you were uh, 121,000 video subs last quarter. Year over year, 
down 2.1%. By the way, less than the overall universe. Right. We're the best of the worst. Right. <laughs> but how do you view that business at this point? Well, I look at it, it's, it's a problem business in the sense that it's a business in transition. And uh, the cost of video has gotten uh, really high. Our, our wholesale cost is really high. The rates we pay to carry all of the products. And, uh, and it's, it's difficult from a pricing perspective to create a value for a lot of customers. At the, on the other hand, it's still a very, it's still the best product out there from a video perspective. And if you look and add up all the direct-to-consumer products and look at what they cost, they actually cost more when you aggregate the cost than the traditional bundle. So I think that uh, it's still a, a, a business that we need to be in. I think it's a value to our customers. I, I, most, you know, most of our customers still subscribe to video. And I think uh, you know, the rate of loss in the bundle will probably slow you some. You think it'll slow, really? I do. It doesn't um, seem to be yet. I mean, and by the way, the proliferation of all the, op- of all the different bundles that I could put together with streamers would seem to be pretty pretty robust well there's no sports in most of that no. and uh so it's uh and it's premium television to in a, in most cases yeah so you know the tr- traditional tv traditional sports um that's still packaged in these pack in these big fat don't packages. forget news and news <laughs> business news in particular How could I um you know i, I did want to talk to you about bundling though because uh, Roku obviously has created a business out of it, a significant one. Um, Comcast is selling a TV now right. to people who may be Comca- uh, charter customers. Right. How do you view it? And would you ever consider uh, trying to compete in some way, bundling the streamers the way that obviously Roku has been successful? Yeah. Look, I think, it, I think there will be re-aggregations of streamed products. I also think there's an opportunity in having a mart, a, a storefront where you're selling television transactionally. And because of our subscriber relationships, I think we can do that in an effective way. What does that way. mean, selling television well, transactionally? Well, if you have a, a bunch of direct-to-consumer services, um, having them all in one place and having them uh, having a user interface that shows what's on, you know, if you tried to use these services and find what's on, it's, it's really a, a, a struggle. So I think there's a way to, to bring those products together and sell them more efficiently. In a, in, a, in a packaged way with a company like us that has a relationship with... Not by buying a Roku? Uh, not by necessarily buying a Roku. Um, business services is 13% of revenues. I don't right. think I've ever asked you about it, but right. I noticed it's a larger percentage overall. Yeah. Is that an area that you can continue to accelerate? It is. It's actually an area through the pandemic that... Uh, you know, it was difficult because a lot of businesses were closed for periods of time, but we managed our way through all that, and, and the growth has returned, and uh, we have a, a large enterprise business where we're serving big, you know, facilities, and we have a very small business enterprise uh, business, and both of them are growing nicely at the moment, and uh, we have excellent networks, excellent products, we've got managed services and enterprise, and... Uh, and we have credibility now as a, as a sophisticated carrier, and uh, and businesses are choosing to relate to us. So it's actually a growth opportunity for us. And finally, finally, I'm just curious about you and your future. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time, right? Uh, looking good, Thank uh, you. but 
uh, you know, I noticed, I think it was your COO, John Bickham, retiring. Right. And so some people wonder about succession. Is there a plan? Do you have a plan in place in terms of when you may give up the top job? Well, I, I don't actually. Uh, I'm not committed to giving up the top job. Um, but we have good people. And uh, we have people that we just promoted in, as a result of John Bickham's uh, transition. I mean, he, John's 71. We've worked together 30 years in three different companies. Uh, so it's a big change, but it's exciting too. We, we've um, the people that I, that we've been together with in Charter. I've been together with them for ten years, and uh, they know what they're doing. And so, if I drop dead tomorrow, um, there's a, there is a plan for that. All right. Well, that's not a particularly hopeful place to leave things. No, uh, but, and I don't expect to. Either. Good. Glad to hear that. Uh, well, Tom, I certainly look forward to future interviews as well, and appreciate you taking Great. time. Thank, Thank you. you. Tom Rutledge, CEO of Charter. Carl, back to you. All right, David. Jim, what's on Mad tonight? Well, look, you have to have Macy's, right? I mean, the stock is the star of the day, so we'll have Jeff Gannett. A work day, they report after the close. I bet you it's blowout. And then Twitter, what the heck's going on there? We're going to speak, we'll speak to Ned Siegel, the uh, CFO. I'm, don't forget tomorrow. Uh, oh, we, oh, yes, we, we've got some pretty good guests because Workday is also going to repeat. Uh, we've got NVIDIA tomorrow, and I want to be as part of the NVIDIA world. And we... Uh, you know, it's Jensen's world. We all live in it. Uh, leading the S&P, up 12% now, all-time high. Deserving. Along with Macy's three-year three high this morning, Got them Jim. both. Uh, have to do it. You have to have the best yep. ones, okay? And leave the raggedy rest to the others. We will see you tonight. Uh, Mad Money, of course, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. (laughs) Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to (laughs) sneeze at. (laughs) I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart.